Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 95 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. Before we get to today's show, I want to mention a brand new podcast from friend of the show, Matt Podolsky of Wild Lens. Well, he and Wild Lens have a brand new podcast called Common Land, and you can check it out at commonlandpodcast.com. Common Land explores the creation stories behind protected areas. Each season takes a deep dive into the history, science, and politics behind the creation of one particular patch of protected common land. And the focus of this first season is a national conservation area in Idaho that is home to a unique population of birds of prey. And this is not an advertisement. I merely mention this because I think fans of this show would appreciate Common Land. And as a member of the Wild Lens Collective, I am happy to help share the word about any new projects from the collective. So go check that out, commonlandpodcast.com. And now to get to today's episode of this show... We will be traveling all over the globe this week, from the western U.S. to Australia to Vanuatu, across the South Pacific. We're going to be talking about all sorts of things, from wreck diving to sailboat hitchhiking, surfing, cargo cults, broken bones, van life, international visas, podcasting, and even more. Today, we will be speaking to Director of Client Relations at Occupation Wild, Nick Watts. You may remember Occupation Wild from a past episode with Courtney Condy. It is a service that helps you find outdoors-related jobs. But before we do talk to Nick about Occupation Wild and all of those various topics I mentioned before, we do need to hear a word from our sponsor. We do indeed have a sponsor this episode, and I do think this is a service that many of you listening will find beneficial. So let us hear now from our sponsor. Alp Adventures Unguided is an adventure travel company for experienced adventurers. It is for those people who don't need a guide. You already have the technical skills. You already have the know-how. What you do not have is that local connection, someone to help you get the most out of where you are going and help you with the complex logistics and the booking. Alp Adventures Unguided is based in Munich, Germany, and they have in-depth local knowledge of the Alps, but also expert partners in South America. And therefore, they they are able to offer roughly 30 self-guided outdoor adventures in various locations and a variety of activities. There are classic hut-to-hut hiking tours, hut-to-hut via ferrata tours, trans-alps mountain bike tours, a bicycle tour from Munich, Germany through Austria and the Dolomites that ends in Venice, or even culinary-focused hut-to-hut hiking tours in Austria. Their goal is to get you off of heavily trafficked trails and into local adventures. And since these are self-guided tours, you can choose your own dates, your own teammates, and your own pace. So if you are like me and you have been looking for a service to help you have adventures around the globe and not merely tourist experiences, go online, alpenventuresunguided.com. That is A-L-P-E-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S unguided.com. And use the code GOOUTSIDENOW for a 10% discount on any of the Summer 2020 Alps Adventures. Go to alpenventuresunguided.com, sign up for one of their Summer 2020 Alps Adventures, or take a look at their other adventures in Europe or South America. And thanks again to Alpen Ventures Unguided for helping make this show possible. And with that, let's get back to the show. 
My name's Nick Watts. I'm director of client relations for an outdoor adventure and travel industry job board called Occupation Wild. Uh, I spent the last five years and majority of my life kind of wandering, searching, not necessarily knowing looking for what, but knowing that there's something else out there that I really was called to do. But obviously, still on the on the go, trying to find that, enjoying life every step of the way, taking the unknown and not necessarily accepting it as fear, but accepting it as something we don't necessarily understand and just something to move forward. Because in the end, hard stuff are usually the best, and the juice is worth the squeeze. So we are at San Onofre Beach right now. Tell us a little bit about what we're sitting in and what this means to you. Okay, so right. Now we're sitting in the fourth Dora, actually. So this is Dora the Explorer. It's a silver sprinter van that I've been living in for the past 14 months now. Self-built. I taught myself over the past five years. The first Dora was uh, actually in New Zealand. So when I left for that in 2014, I was living in Colorado and just loved it. But I'm from Florida, so I'm a water rat. So I took off for the ocean and moved over there. Me and my friend taught each other how to surf over there, but we weren't sure how we were going to get around. We knew hostels were expensive, so we bought our first van, built it out of essentially a dumpster, just kind of threw things together because we didn't have any place to do it. You know, lived in that. Built a couple more in Australia, and then when I came back from a five-year tour around the South Pacific, came back to Florida and built this van because it's time to come back. I have a brand new nephew. I wanted to assimilate back into the country I'm truly from, and wanted to build a house and find a place to park it because I wasn't really sure where I wanted to live, but I didn't want the constraints of an apartment or roommates or, you know, yes, this job's keeping me here. I just wanted to be completely free to kind of find the next step. So how long is it you said you've been living out of this at this point? Uh, so it was actually 13 months yesterday. It took me about four months and about 400 hours to build. And, and you said it's the fourth. Yeah. And you've named all of them Dora? Yeah, the they're, Explorer, all, they're all Dora. So <laughs> when we were, me and my buddy Steve uh, Pitchford, we moved to New Zealand to kind of teach each other how to surf and just kind of go explore. It's a small country. It was his first time out of the country. We just wanted to do something that was concise. We could kind of conquer in six months. So we picked New Zealand. When we built it, we were thinking through names, thinking through names. He's like, man, what about just Dora the Explorer? Like, we're out here exploring. Like, she looks like a Dora. It was an all-wheel drive Toyota Highest. So it was like Legendary Explorer because it went all over the beaches and everywhere. And yeah, kind of the name stuck. You know, all the ones before this were a Toyota Highest. This is a high-top Sprinter. Originally, I called it Diego because it's a little bigger. It's also <laughs> silver. I kind of wanted to keep the theme. Yeah, when I came back, I even assimilated that into a business so I had a little small camper van business called Doors Explorers Modular Builds when I came out to California uh, last November so I was doing modifications on other people's vans for a little bit before I started working for uh, Occupation Wild. So if this is the fourth one and the first one was in New Zealand yeah clearly you weren't going to take that one with you so you no. had to leave it behind so why have there been four what about the other two what i kind of treated them as is when i go and travel i don't i don't like to waste money in terms of rent so same same with renting a car it's like you're throwing money into a hole but if you buy the vehicle even if you don't get what you put into it out of it you've invested that money into your next step so when leaving new zealand we actually sold the first door for two grand more than we bought it so we bought it for 5500 and we sold it for 7500 after maybe building it out for probably 500 bucks. You know, we went to the Bunnings, which is like New Zealand Home Depot, and we're like pulling pallets out of dumpsters. And the people there were awesome. Kiwis and New Zealanders are legendary. Like, they were interested. They're like, oh, yeah, you should, you should do this. Here's a hammer. Like, oh, yeah, let me run over to aisle seven. We'll grab you some screws. And eventually the general manager <laughs> came up. It's like, are you guys going to be here all day? It's like, you're not really supposed to work here. I mean, everyone's pretty interested, but you kind of got to leave. And I was like, <laughs> all right, noted, you know, we'll take this elsewhere. So we built in the parking lot. <laughs> Sold the first one um, and actually had a round trip ticket. I had a 48 hour layover in Fiji. So I contacted the airlines like, hey, you know, 
I've never been to Fiji. How much does it cost to extend my layover? Like, oh, it's hundred bucks for 48 hours. Like, oh, done. Really enjoyed it. Decided it was this far out. I kind of, after a bad mountain biking accident in Colorado, right before I left, forced me to sell literally everything to be able to afford the trip. Broke my left leg and right arm and almost broke my femur when I was working for a downhill mountain bike park. That kind of forced my hand into selling pretty much everything. So it was because I was thinking back, I was like, you know, what am I going back for? I had a really good friend who was getting married. I actually called him. I was like, you know, people say, I wouldn't miss this for the world, but it's the world I'm gonna miss it for, I'm sorry. He's like, I understand. He actually moved to New Zealand with his new wife after his honeymoon for a year to travel around after hearing what the stories I was telling him. In Fiji, 48 hour labor, never went back to my plane. So I was there around a month, you know, kicking around, had no way off the island, but money was running tight and I knew I could get a working visa in Australia. So I made the conscious decision to get there by sailboat. So I ended up hitchhiking on five yachts through five months through the South Pacific and into Australia. And then kind of the same thing. I'd been living in the van, like I really liked it. You know, I wanted to explore Australia, but it'd been close to a year now in my travel. So I was also ready to kind of find one spot to kind of settle down, save some money. Cause I was sailed into a show with like $400. So I was broke. Found this place called Manly, spent some time there. got a bunch of jobs over three, four months and eventually built the second van, the second Dora, which was a long wheelbase, like airport commuter bus. So a little bigger than the first one, a little taller. Me and my ex-girlfriend Jess lived in that one and uh, traveled around the country for a little bit. Times change, I had to do visas runs back. The third Dora was actually just kinda, it was a CRV in the United States. <laughs> it was white, I was in the Dora theme, I was missing living in the van, so I called that one Dora. I went back to Colorado for a few months to work the ski fields and uh, I worked at the foundry. It was a movie theater, bowling alley, pizza kitchen. I was a bartender there in Winter Park. So like I had this thing, you know, it was an all wheel drive, little like, little goat cart. So I was like the Minnie Mouse Dora version. You know, every now and then I'd crash in the back and I'd travel around, but by all means. Yeah, I was gonna say you couldn't live. <laughs> no, no way, <laughs> especially in winter. Like this thing's a glass box, hella fun to drive, but no way. I just called it Dora, keeping with the theme. You know, I was just trying to keep Dora in my heart and you know, push, give it out in the universe that I wanted another one. <laughs> so not a true Dora, but when it came down to it, I still consider it one of, one of the Dora fleet. <laughs> I feel like you should get some sort of sponsorship from whoever the hell owns the Dora Explorer yeah. franchise. Uh, so when I was when I was actually doing the uh, the business, it's Dora's Explore Raz. So I took out the ER. You know, not the best when it comes to SEO because even if somebody types in the wrong Dora's Explorers, Dora's Explorer will always take over my company. I was like. Didn't really think that one through. <laughs> yeah, you also kind of trying to avoid that copyright and trademark yeah, infringement. Right? I was like, in my in my science, I'm driving in environmental science and geography. My science non-business. I was like, yeah, dude, I changed one letter. They can't take anything from me. It's not the same. It's a building company. It's not a cartoon. And then like two months into the whole process of building the website and the business and all that sort of stuff, Dora came out with Dora's Explorer's van. No kidding. Yeah, that's a real thing. A little playtime like toy. I actually bought it for my nephew because he loves the van. Like, it's hilarious. He comes in here, is pushing all the buttons and like playing with the bus doors. But yeah, I was like, hmm, I guess I should be honored to know that I'm the, on their radar, maybe. Or they're just taking the van life thing and running with it. But either way, I was like, yeah, maybe I got to reevaluate my name. What, what, what kind of van was it? <laughs> Essentially just like a generic, you know, yeah, almost okay. looks Volkswagen style, but like just boxy, snub nose front. It was a lot nicer than this one. I mean, this is a nice van, wood paneling, everything, but this thing opened up. It had like a little jacuzzi section. It had a full stand-up <laughs> closet. Like it was like a Barbie mixed with Dora's Explorers. Like it was wild. Yeah, how many jacuzzis did you have in your various I, doors? Unfortunately, I didn't. You know, that's I always lived by the ocean. I was like, I don't need a pool. You know. <laughs> 
But yeah, I thought that was <laughs> pretty funny. That is pretty amusing that it's kind of come full circle unintentionally. Yeah. Right. So I think it's safe to say, based on what we've heard so far, that you've lived a relatively nomadic life. Yeah. Has it always been that way? Or was it once you became an adult, did you grow up with a nomadic lifestyle? And so it was already part of your life? Or is that something you came to on your own? So I got super lucky. My parents back in Florida, they're adventurers, travelers. Like We never did massive trips abroad or anything like that. But we always kind of tried to do a family trip. And I'm the youngest of three. So it was a family of five. And, you know, when we were going off, we're always doing things that are a little above my age group because I was the youngest. So big rafting, hiking, like outdoor kind of family. So throughout my life, my parents are lying about my age. Like, oh, I was tall, you know, I'm six foot two, six foot three, 200 pounds. And like pretty much been the same size since I was like 11. That was 12 when I was supposed to be 17 going down like whitewater rafting things. And it scared the bejesus out of me. Like, I it's was- funny, right? Like once you're 18, you need to have an ID to prove yeah. your age. Oh, but yeah. if you're a kid, you just need an adult oh, to say something moderately believable. Yeah. Like, yeah, he's 14. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. So like through that and through other kind of variations of my life, I kind of figured out that like fear is inevitable, but sometimes if you just kind of go through it, it's just because you don't understand it can really be fun. So like through rafting and even like first time forcing myself onto a roller coaster, I kind of remembered like feeling that feeling is like, oh wow. Or like you're looking at jumping off like a little cliff and you jump, it's like, that was hella fun. Let's go to the next one. It's like, that's a little scary. But then when you do it, you kind of, adrenaline takes over and you really, you know, kind of get after it and you enjoy it. You can find that joy or passion in it if you, if you do really like it. So throughout my life, those little subtle things kind of come into play and pretty structured existence throughout my childhood. Like we weren't nomadic. We lived in Sarasota, Florida, went to public school and sort of stuff like that. And then was a wakeboarder, went to, ended up going to Florida State to be on the wakeboard team. Throughout school, I was, I mean, I like school, but I kind of struggled with it. I was never really like that into it. I kind of wanted to just travel. Like I wanted to, you know, be my own boss, do my own thing. I tried to leave college a couple times into like construction world, construction management, that sort of stuff. And my parents were just like, you know, stick with it, get your degree. Just get the piece of paper, then you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And were you saying your degree? What, what were you saying uh, I was in? So you I did it environmental science and then geography. So spatial which is, geography. Which is quite different from construction. Yeah. Very different <laughs> from construction. But like, I've always liked building things and that sort of stuff, but I've always loved nature. And deep down, my whole heart was set on being an explorer. I always thought I was like, you know, I was born in the wrong generation millennia century because i just wanted to go out and like find new things explore new cultures and places and people but it kind of makes sense in a weird way because you're like getting this education that revolves around sort of natural things but then you're interested in construction and a lot of the way it seems like you've been traveling is you build out your own portable homes Mm -hmm. and various other things so it's kind of like you're using all the skills simultaneously it's it's, seriously it has come full circle like i've adapted a little life mantra of if you live a life of marketability you'll never not have a job and you never not be like learning and moving forward so throughout my traveling existences I've always kind of pulled from different jobs I've had countless different jobs you know I had 14 jobs I was living in Australia from a stonemason to bartender at Taronga Zoo to I drove a six-ton dump truck around Sydney and like when you do travel and you go off abroad and I mean it's a little harder for a female but guys we can't get in any position so we're usually doing construction we're doing cash and hand laboring work so I picked a lot of stuff up from that because I always had a little bit of an interest in it but I got really lucky when I went into school I really wanted to you know explore I loved animals I went in for zoology found chemistry it was like yeah nah 
did chemistry once, was like, I'm over this, not my, not my bag. And then switched to environmental science and geography, and I actually ended up studying spatial geography. So there's two variations, which is space versus place. Place is how we define the world around us with boundaries. Spatial is how the earth defines the world around you. So plate tectonics, river plateaus, alluvial plains, weather systems. So I heavily studied meteorology. I'm a big weather nerd. Rocks. Love my rocks. I've got countless rocks up here I can show you from travels as well. Like, they're all over the van. And then it's just kind of, I got lucky the fact that I could find something I was really interested in. My classes were, my dad thought they were jokes, like dinosaurs and disasters was an anthropology <laughs> class. I took world's greatest shipwrecks and underwater archaeology. Yeah, those, those are awesome yeah, classes. Chasing <laughs> storms, like uh, animal primate and behavior with the water planet, geomorphology. And they're all like 4,000, 5,000 level classes. And my dad's like, how many football players in your class? I'm like, dad, dude, it's not like that. <laughs> it's not like that. And you're like, actually zero. Yeah, actually zero, because they <laughs> failed out the first two days. <laughs> what, what school was this? Uh, Florida said? State. Man, you had awesome courses there. I didn't have shit like that at my yeah, school. Yeah, we had incredible courses, like even down to urban and regional planning. So I got a minor in urban regional planning, which kind of navigated my brain to thinking of like space versus place. Like we define this place, but this space is what's defining us. So it's like you can find that variation. We can play with both and like redefine your area in, in any way when it comes to like adding a passion or adding a business or something like that. You're always kind of navigating through your space and place. In that, like I don't necessarily use my degree for monetary means, but I use it every day. Like I'm a surfer, I follow weather patterns. When I go abroad, I'm always looking at rocks and plate tectonics. Or if I'm in a city, I'm like, oh yeah, this, this flow of this city works because this ingress and egress over here. I notice small nuances in cities because like the planning part of it as well, kind of how do you manipulate these people moving from here to here and so on and so forth. So when I learned, I actually really took school and adapted it to myself. I didn't let school adapt to me, which is something that I learned in my later in life. but got really lucky and just in the fact that it just kind of happened. Kind of went on a tangent through school, enjoyed that and used it every day. And it's it's forever like bettered my wealth of general, just random facts and knowledge. And I'm always picking those things up because I understand a baseline theory of the world that happens and adapts around you. So you can kind of take that foundation and, and build off it in your own way and how you interact. So when you finished school, did you decide, okay, I'm done with school, time to get the hell out of here and go somewhere else? Or did you take that path where you finished school, you're like, well, I guess I should try to get some sort of job that has to do with this degree I got and then move on after that? Oh, no. I got, I had dealt an interesting hand right when I finished school. So two weeks before graduation, I broke my ankle dancing at a Mexican restaurant on 420. That happened, graduated on crutches. I actually had a job as a whitewater rafting guide in Maine for that summer but I couldn't go up and make the training so lost that job sitting in Florida I was actually on my friends like tinny like little John boat Gabby Weston and we were cruising around so I was bumming I was like, God, like what's the next step like I had everything planned and then like a month before I was supposed to leave rocked everything changed in a second I was like all right on that boat my sister called she was, was living in Colorado and Boulder at the time she's like just come out here get a restaurant job get out of Florida reevaluate and just try something new three days later I'd sold everything I unfit everything in the back of my Jeep Cherokee and drove out lived with my sister had this cool spot in her basement like made this whole really cool like area and then 10 days later I get evicted by her landlord because secretly her roommate really didn't want me there they never said anything <laughs> like never said anything and the windows were too small for like an egress and a fire so the landlord comes over it's like up oh, fire hazard you can't stay here so there's just a, this secret passive aggressive thing going yeah. on in the background uh, you, you know secret of? passive aggressive like <laughs> so you know it's just like it wasn't the best situation it's like all right cool homeless again 
There we go. <laughs> Ended up getting a job at the Mountain Sun Brewery and Brew Pub on Pearl Street in Boulder. And then my sister helped me in, move in with a couple of her friends. And, and these people were okay with you living with them. They yeah. weren't secretly trying exactly. to get rid of you, Exactly. They weren't right? secret. They're guys. They weren't <laughs> secretly trying to get rid of you. It's like, yeah, cool. So yeah, working in the Brew Pub, come October, it was like, you know what? Why not? Let's give my hack at snowboarding. Like, I was a semi-professional wakeboarder in college. Like, I did a lot on the board sports. And I tried snowboarding before and liked it. So it's like, I'm always about fully immersing myself. When I learn something new, it's like I go straight into it and usually go into it the hardest possible way to learn, exponentially change my learning curve. So we went up to Colorado and, you know, live in, in Winter Park, actually in my sister's timeshared house that she rented with all of her friends. So my sister's, <laughs> Megan, I love you. You're a legend. Thank you for all of that because I couldn't have done this without you. Um, so yeah, they weren't too stoked the fact that I lived there for three weeks while they only came up on the weekends. 22-year-old Nick didn't care or think about that at all. <laughs> so yeah, I was living there. I got a job at the Foundry, which is that brew pub, bowling alley, movie theater, pizza kitchen. You know, lived up in Winter Park in Colorado for about two and a half years. Kind of doing the ski thing and then in the summers, I actually lived up there. I have a tensile treehouse tent, which is like a it's about six people, but it's this big treehouse tent thing. Those big ass ones you connect to trees, right? And yeah. then there's this rigid structure. Yep, it's, it's like a tent that's elevated from trees, and then uh -huh. it's like really rigid bottom. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's like three. About. It's like three hammocks sewn together in like a triangle. So it's like you have your. You can sleep technically six people in. That's what it holds, but. It's like this rigid platform that you ratchet strap to three trees. So you get in it through a rope ladder, right? Yeah, through yeah. a rope ladder or through the center. Like at that bar, it turned out it was like the ski patrol bar. And then in the summer, they have Trestles Bike Park, which is like the bike patrol downhill mountain bike. So like I ended up talking my way as a Florida boy onto a downhill mountain bike park employment. As a I went into the interviews like guys, listen, I've broken at this point it was about 30 buns in 27 years or 25 years. It was a, a, now it's about 33. It's like I went. I was like, you know what? You can't teach empathy you can teach someone to ride a bike yeah you're right let's give it a go ended up breaking my left leg and right arm and almost broke my femur two years later but you know <laughs> you live and you learn so it's kind of funny anytime your elbows or knees hit the ground you owe to six pack in that first week i just started bringing in 30 packs every week just <laughs> come back covered in dust nick what happened nothing i like that you got the job because you mentioned how many times you broke bones i know you would think that would scare them away from no. you immediately uh, i was just went in there i was like listen you know i can make people comfortable you can't teach empathy i understand the position they're in and i know from experience how to make them feel better like i turned that negative i was like you know this, you really want me because of this it's not because i'm a huge insurance risk it's because i can help i can help these people and i want to help so through that i got that position down the line my second year in my sister's getting married so in june the whole family's like nick do not get injured before your sister's wedding i'm like guys i got this like i'm, I'm a good biker now like you're fine i'm cool one week after my sister's wedding, I launched myself off the side of a cliff. But it wasn't before. It was not before. You, it you was held true. not before. I held true to that. I was living in the woods. You I came. Lived, you, yeah. you lived true to your promise. Lived true to my promise. Came down to the St. Julian from the woods, was living in my treehouse, and my forerunner packed to the nines with all my camping gear dirty. Got them to park it in front of like one of the nicest hotels in Boulder. Like, guys, this is my house. I kind of need to get things in and out. Can you park it out front? It's dirty, filthy. Park next to a Porsche. And there's a forerunner. I go in. I'm like, yeah, Nick, why? I've got a room like can I please see some ideas like what do you mean there you go it's like I was just making sure you were who you were I was like do I look that bad have I been <laughs> in the woods that long <laughs> moving on um it was Colorado Freeride Festival I was leading some pros down a jump track some friends of mine and I cased this jump and kind of nosebleed into a stump and it just ejected me off the side of the mountain 45 degree incline and I just 
It's the slow mo- slowest car- crash I've ever had. Like, I was wearing a full face helmet and Hawaiian t-shirt. Go- going down in style. <laughs> yeah, going down in style. Liz Claiborne, Florida, like, old lady Hawaiian t-shirt. It's hilarious. I remember just, like, seeing soft spots for landing, tucking, rolling, popping. And then I landed, like, not a scratch on my body. T-shirt's not ripped, but it was like, my leg's broken. Call the office. Didn't realize it, but my arm was broken as well. And I actually almost ruptured, broke my femur, but my life-proof case stayed my femur. I disintegrated my life-proof case and I actually popped, bent the titanium back of my iPhone and popped the screen off. It was that much force, and I had a bruise the size of my iPhone on my femur. The doctor's like, yeah, you would have lost a quarter inch of your leg if that had broke, because it was right in the middle. So have you gotten a sponsorship from... I know, from I need from- to. Like, I've, <laughs> I've got a code. They're like, I sent them a story, and they always send me a, a free life-proof case if I ever need one. It's like, you know, guys, like, listen, this thing saved my life. It's not necessarily Nick-proof, but it's Nick-approved. Well, it's funny, because <laughs> the name is Life-proof, yeah. which like kind of made sense. I just guess I got a little rougher version of life. <laughs> I have this accident, but three weeks before my sister's wedding, I'd bought a six-month ticket to New Zealand. My sister's wedding was in June, and I was leaving New Year's. So I was like, my God, I've got six months. I'm living in the woods. I've got a broken left leg, a broken right arm with a cast up above my shoulder, Like, and I can only use one crutch. Like, I can't carry a glass of water. I can't do anything. I, God knows I definitely can't get into a, a treehouse tent. Jackie Cash, Shane Connolly, Ryan Connolly, great homies from college, lived in Denver. They took me in, it back into another basement. Like without them, I would have never have kind of made it transferring into the next step of life. I would have had to gone home, would have been in Florida and just would have transferred into a different variation. Because of them, they allowed me like to stay there. I was paying very little rent. Shane was working from home, so he was helping me out. Like I couldn't even get down to the basement for the first couple weeks because I couldn't get down the stairs. Like I had to live on the couch. I'm noticing a recurring theme. Good people in your life. (laughs) Yeah. Oh yeah. Great people in my life. Like I've been super blessed I have this running joke with a lot of my friends that they say my uh, guardian angel is an alcoholic he's up there at the bar (laughs) with like Hemingway and Jacques Cousteau and other people being like oh you know it's like oh god he's oh no he's alright like something's (laughs) happening oh no he's cool never mind what were you saying what were you saying so yeah I've been very blessed with the amazing people in my life and kind of people that have taken me in and helped me out when when things are needed that's when it came into the New Zealand part. It's like time was coming. It's like, all right, like I got, I'm running out of cash. Like the savings are depleted. I've got to start selling things. Like sold my bike, you know, sold other things. And actually four days before I was leaving to New Zealand, I only had $400 in my bank account, but I sold my Forerunner for 8,500 bucks. Bought it for 6,500 in Florida. So I used to do that, I'd fly to Florida, buy a car, drive it back. The four wheel drive car in Florida is cheap. It's garage maintained, no salt. You drive it to Colorado, two grand in a you know a 33-hour drive. Thank God for that, and then took that money and took off for what was supposed to be a, a six-month trip. <laughs> me and my friend learned how to surf, which was harrowing. On the west coast of Australia, there's or excuse me, New Zealand, there's only 4.3 million people now, and like 1.6 of them live in one city in Auckland. So there's not that many people. There's not that many surfers, so you really got to get used to surfing alone. And as a new surfer, as I'm sure you figured out, like, it's not the easiest to pinpoint where to get out, where to go, how to go out. Like, thank God we were traveling around with this, which was the little New Zealand surf guide. So it's this little surf bible. It's got 420 breaks, but detailed. Places to go out, local scene. I would say it's about 
five inches by three and a half inches. Oh yeah, it's tiny. Like it's <laughs> but a pocket, thick. but thick. Yeah, and it's detailed from every area of both islands in New Zealand. And it tells you where to go out, local scene, if it's sharky, how the fun, stoke level. Every is this is this your favorite spot? Oh, it's spot X. <laughs> Don't mind it. Never found it. It's got like a pirate flag, yeah. skull, and that crossbones is like cross swords. Cross swords or surfboards, <laughs> I think. <laughs> but yeah, so it's like there's all these spots that have these spot X. It's like if you know it, you know it. If not, find a nice local and maybe he'll show you. So it's like there's always that like even exploration in that. It's not my first time abroad or traveling. I did some sea turtle research in college in Ecuador when I was doing my environmental science stuff. But, you know, I found that traveling with a purpose, you'll never be bored or you'll never travel alone. So with traveling with a surfboard, it took me to some amazing places all over the world. It allowed me to be in great places and connect with people in different cultures with different languages by a small thing is sharing a wave or offering a wave and then in the end you're coming in you're sharing a beer and you're sharing a story or a campfire like it's it's opened up a different variation of travel for me yeah the nice thing about a surfboard being big is people can't miss it so they immediately know <laughs> uh-huh yeah, and then if they're like, oh, yeah. if there's a connection here, we know. Yeah. And if there's oh, yeah. not a connection here, we pretty much know. And surfers <laughs> love talking surf. Anytime you're here with surfers, yeah, I'll catch up with you later for surf. You know, it's like you never say bye. It's like, I'll see you later for a surf. <laughs> That's a running joke with my friend group in Australia as well. But it is uh, not the easiest thing to travel with by any and, sense And of the knowing word. you, since you were learning to do this... You injured yourself a lot of times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was learning on a six-foot board. I'm six-foot-two. I was learning on a much smaller board because I was like, me and my exponential learning curve. Like, dude, I want to just skip the foundation and go. But that's the best part about surfing is you can't skip the baselines. If you can't have paddle fitness, you can't get to the wave. If you don't know how to get out, you can't get to the wave. You can't surf the wave. If you get out to the wave, the current's ripping, you're too exhausted to catch a wave. So it's like it's all these things you really have to push through to be able to get to what you really want out of it. The best part about it is the second you think you're growing, you're confident, you're like, I got this, the ocean will check you. Faster and harder than you ever expected. I spent many a time sitting on the bottom of the ocean wondering, it's like with my leg leash just up and my board flopping tombstoning, just like, is this ever gonna stop? <laughs> About ready to come up for a breath. So yeah, I took off for the ocean after living in Colorado and just beat myself into learning to surf. I think I paddled for two and a half months before I really truly like caught, caught away. <laughs> it was just exhausted, you know? New Zealand's a free working visa. So you can go under the age of 32, you can go for free and work for a year. You can work any particular place, but you can't stay longer than six months. So we kind of traveled around, we kept it easy, we picked fruit picked apples in the South Island of New Zealand and then you know because we we're living in the van like we we're living cheap like hostels over there are 50 bucks a night like if we were staying in hostels for six months like we would have been tapped out in two so here's a question about the working visa because I've never had one so I'm never really clear on how these work do you need to have a job set up to get a working visa or do you just apply for a working visa which then allows you to look for jobs so what it is it's called a working holiday scheme or a working holiday visa it's a visa that says you're there to travel the country, but it gives you an opportunity to make money to fuel your travels. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah that's it kind makes of a sweet it, deal. Though. Yeah, it makes yeah. it easy for you to come into the country. It makes it easy for you to acclimate, come in with whatever currency you have, spend it in their country, which they really enjoy, and then make some money and pay some taxes while you're there as well, and then leave. Because the rest of the world really does showcase international travel, especially New Zealand, Australia, because if you want to go anywhere, you're going a far ways. I mean, this is out in the middle of the South Pacific, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, they're big places, but unless you're going to New Zealand, you're on an eight-hour travel from Australia to anywhere else. 
so they encourage people to you know come in and explore their country and understand their culture and like give it a go try it enjoy it but also they understand that you can't just leave it to the wealthy like you have to give people an option to come and make money and support themselves to their country again underlying they also don't want you to leave have to pay for your ticket to leave because you can't afford to get out of here there's another way to be like hey you know we're gonna bill you but you should have had money you had the opportunity to work why didn't you work so again it's also like a catch-22 for them it's like a fail safe for them as well as a just a, a welcoming to their country to just allow you to come in so as americans we unfortunately we don't have very many you know i think it's south korea australia new zealand i want to say south africa but i might be wrong i think that's it so we're only allowed in those countries to work. Everywhere else you can go and on a visa stamp, you pretty much get 90 days before you have to leave. It's pretty interesting playing that game. And you know, in New Zealand, I only stayed six months. I didn't stay for the full year, but when I was in Australia, I actually really got into the visa game. So I lived there for two and a half years. A little over a year and a half was there illegally, you know, working on a tourist visa. So that's where I got all those jobs, was getting a cash job. But you have to be very strict on, on how you kind of do that and manage that, or they will catch you and deport you. Every 90 days you have to leave the country. When you come back, they have full rights to subpoena your bank account, look and see if people are paying you, take your phone and your computer, check your messages and see if you're working. You know, I never went into a formal interview, but I had friends that got deported. You know, I was working at an all-Australian wine bar and I was like, you know, listen, you can't just go for a weekend. She's like, no, it's fine. Like you're going from a Friday to a Monday in New Zealand. Like you're supposed to be on a travel work visa. Like you got to show them you're still kind of traveling. That's your purpose or it's gonna red flag you and they're gonna look for you. And she was unfortunately nannying as well and they were paying her like every Tuesday by direct deposit into her bank accounts. Like that was a red flag. And then she had a Facebook message from a friend asking to switch shifts with her. So another red, got her straight up deported. Couldn't leave the plane, couldn't take her phone. They put her on another plane back to LA, which she's from Oregon. They gave the stewardess her phone and computers. Like you get this back when you get off the plane. Like, no communication, her boyfriend was waiting for her for like 14 hours outside the airport. Like, didn't know what was going on. A hard game to play, but it's an easy one to crack as well. Like, you can make it work if you truly have to. I was dating in Australia at a time. I traveled the South Pacific. I've been gone for a little over a year. Like, it was time for me to kind of settle down. I found an amazing place in Manly. It was a surf beach. I was on the northern beaches of Sydney, so it was a 20-minute ferry ride into Sydney. You know, so that's why I picked this spot. I was like, you know, this is outside the city, pedestrian-friendly, cool beach town vibe, surfer spot. But if I really needed jobs, like if I couldn't find a job there, 20 minute ferry ride, there's a plethora of jobs in there. Like I can get something easy. Pedestrian friendly area, you've got a wharf beach on the Sydney Harbor side. There's like four beaches on that side within like a 10 minute walk. On the ocean side, it's Manly Beach. It's this massive beach. And then there's a marine reserve called Cabbage Tree Bay and Shelly Beach on there. So it's a very old marine reserve. The fish just come straight up to you. It's crystal clear. It's like within a three block radius of my house, I could get to a ferry into the city. I could get to a marine reserve to go free dive, snorkel, and I do underwater pictures. I love taking uh, underwater, I, lo I think fish are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and then like there's countless surf beaches. So a 45 minute drive, there's 12 beaches with different like swell directions and angles that you can kind of access. It's the first time I kind of felt was like, man, this place truly has everything I've been looking for. Found this amazing girl that I started to date and fell in love with. That's kind of the reasons I got into the travel visas. Like I was trying to stay, like trying to work things out with her and figure things out. But internationally dating is a hard game. You know, I was 27. She was about 28, 29 when we first met. And then, you know, things, you're growing with each other. You're living abroad. But then there's always this black cloud in the area that's like, hey, we're not from the same area. Like, 
can we talk about this? Like, it was hard to kind of bring it up because neither of us really wanted to budge. I wanted to live in Australia. I still want to call that place my home, and that's a place where I'd like to lay my head when I die. But I have a family here. I have a life here. And at that point, is I've been growing and growing. I've been gone longer and longer. And it's just like I'm getting disattached from my roots, from my family, my friends. Like People are like, oh, Nick's just in Australia. He's never coming home. I was like, guys, I still want to be invited to weddings. It's still really nice to be included. Like, <laughs> yeah, like I owe a bunch of you anyway. You know, exactly, right? You know, and it's like, and then... My sister's pregnant, and she's. I've got a new nephew, and it's just like it's kind of just weighing down on me the fact that it's like it's really time we need to start this communication. We need to figure this out. But neither of us really wanted to budge, but we both really loved each other. So it's like, how do you make it work? How, where do you draw the line? Where do you have the sacrifices? And she turned 30, growing. We're both getting older, and it's just like, kind of realized we both want separate things. I hadn't found the job that was really kind of allowing me to stay in any one place or really holding my attention for that long. I was still really much the traveler with the travel bug. Walking through all that, you know, it's just a just a process. Unfortunately, and you know, it didn't really work out. We still have a great relationship. Still love my life to date, but you know, it's I had to kind of make the decision that it just wasn't right at the time. Like we were trying to force too many hands. There's too many things at play. So just kind of sit back, relax, and just go back to let things happen naturally. My nephew lives in Colorado. Like I'm the only salty ambassador to his life. That kid needs to see the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> he came out in, uh, I believe it was April. It was the first time he'd ever seen the ocean. I put him in the first time. He loved it, I literally cried. Like tears, a couple tears coming down. I sent him for his second birthday, his first surfboard, his little 36 inch foam board and he surfs <laughs> in the living room <laughs> my sister goes paddle 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 stand up and he does this little surfing move and then my brother-in-law yells wipe out and he jumps to the floor and cackles and it's just it's really cute you know he's the, he's the reason i came back and he's the reason i'm still here but bennett dicklin love the kid so if he's in colorado how'd you end up in california just because um, water's here and water's not in yeah colorado. pretty much it's it all comes down to the sea like the sea and me i need it you know it brings such happiness the salt i think soothing for the soul and it's just something with surfing it's been my lifelong pursuit since 2014 it's something i've tried to do every day and grow and continue because as a late in life surfer it's super hard and you see these groms that are 11 years old weighing nothing soaking wet they're just doing airs and ripping and you're just like no oh, i want to do that <laughs> but deep down you know it's like probably never get to that position i should just be fine cruising on a longboard back in florida building this and you know take off go to colorado to do the rounds visit my sister and then i knew i'd come to uh, california in college for a wakeboard tournament i was out in long beach i knew i wanted to surf i knew i wanted to get out i almost actually lived in north carolina so my ex from australia came Chester came over and we did a little trip up the southeast right before florence did a surf trip and I really fell in love with North Carolina, an amazing state, really cool, southern hospitality and surf culture. So like the surf scene's awesome. You paddle out, they're like, good morning. It's like, hi. <laughs> like this isn't what they do this in is California. Like, this, <laughs> isn't, this isn't normal. You go into a surf shop, like don't go there, it's be too crowded. So you go around the corner, there's nobody there. It's like, do you just tell me a secret spot? You trying to get me mugged or what's going on? Then Florence happened. We actually got evacuated from the Outer Banks. We went into Nashville, got evacuated from, excuse me, Asheville, and then ended up driving to Key West, ironically the safest place from a hurricane. I was really interested in Wilmington and it just got wiped out. So I was like, all right, next step. I want to surf. I don't want to stay in Florida. Let's go west, California. And I wanted to do the van business. So I knew out here it was booming, the whole idea. You're a little more affluent in that sort of lifestyle and sea ocean oriented. So I knew people out here would have vans, they'd want it done. So I came out, did a big trip up and down the coast from October to November to try and kind of find where I wanted to settle. San Diego, not necessarily my ideal place, 
too many people. I like to be a little closer to access to nowhere without necessarily crossing a border. But I noticed the vans. They're everywhere. There's people that are using them. There's people that are living out of them. I was like, this is a good place to yeah, kind of start. There are like 20 of them here this morning. Yeah, exactly. I told him, <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, look for a silver sprinter. And I kind of learned out the window. I was like, oh, yeah, this might be difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, they're everywhere. So that's kind of how I, I picked California, kind of how I picked San Diego. I almost chose San Francisco area. But then, you know, kind of decided against it. I really am a warm, warm weathered person as well. And Ocean Beach, San Francisco, is just a scary place to surf. It's big. It's mean. It's a big beach break. And, you know, it's like a 30 to 40 wave paddle out of an inside bar. And then you get out there and it goes from 8 foot to all of a sudden it's, it's 10 to 12. And you're like paddling away from every wave as the tide drops. Like, I have to go in at some point or this is getting worse. So it's just that scare factor. I was like, oh, I don't know if I should really scare myself this much. Yeah, I got to say anything over like four feet sounds pretty terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I definitely have a different mindset when it comes to learning. I really like to go outside my ability and kind of learn like that and hope that intuition and lack of confidence and maybe self-confidence in myself is like, yeah, I can do this. And then, oh, wait, no. Yeah, that, that, that might explain the 33 broken bones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it comes into play where I think I'm a lot better than I really am. <laughs> So I'm going to derail us for a minute yeah. because I remember when you first reached out to me, you mentioned something that we haven't talked about yet. I'm not sure how it fits in, but we have to bring it up, which is Vanuatu. Oh, Vanuatu. So all I know about that island is that it's the like birthplace of bungee jumping in a sense because they do land diving there. Yeah. I don't know anything else. On Pentecost. Vanuatu. (laughs) So, So tell us how you ended up there and about living there. Yeah. So actually, geography major, a little embarrassed, didn't know as a country. You know, in, in, in taking classes, they're like, yeah, South Pacific, you really want to know about it. We have specific classes about it. A lot of things going on. Just do your own research. I was like, yeah, cool. Never end up doing research. In the island of Fiji, end up on a boat going to Vanuatu because I found a boat going to, to Australia. Didn't know how to get off the island of Fiji. I was hanging around in the marina, offering captains work, you know, helping out on their boats and found somebody I liked. like, yeah, can you give me a ride? They're like, yeah, sure. Call the sailboat test. If you can prove to someone that you can hang out with them, for six days without them wanting to kill you, you can teach somebody any, anything. You can't teach them to be cordial and understand that people need space <laughs> and it's a small boat. You, know, you don't want to like annoy the hell out of them. So on this boat, and we end up going to Vanuatu. You know, things happen. I'm just not really overly impressed with the captain, the vessel, or you know, his mentality and like sailing and that sort of stuff. It wasn't the safest vessel for my first vessel. It's about 500 nautical miles to Vanuatu. We get into the southern island of Tana, which has the world's most accessible active volcano but we show up without any money for entry. The only ATM is like 100 kilometers around the island through dense bush to get to, and it's like a four-day sail, and we didn't have enough provisions or anything like that. So that was my first cue. It's like, I got to get off this boat. Like, this guy didn't bring any, like, he didn't tell us. We could have taken money out, whatever. So while he's running around to other boats trying to get rides over there, trying to collect enough money to pay the port of entry, we go ashore. We walk about 60 kilometers in two days through the jungle, like to this active volcano, these ash fields, these gorgeous ash fields, and then wild horses and everything. And again, no money. So we couldn't pay the vehicle price to take us up and explore the volcano. So we came back at night and hiked up the backside of this active volcano. And it was just like one of the hardest hikes. It's dead set, just straight up. But it's, you know, ash, so it's kind of soft sand. It was about a 30 minute, but just 
like scramble, crawl on your hands and knees. You get up there and like it's shaking. It's 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 dark, so you can see the magma flying up. And you're up there and the thing's shaking, and you start thinking like I'm environmental science and things like. How do I know? I haven't seen this from the day. I don't know if this section's undercut. How close can I get? Is this going to fall apart? Is there going to be a massive eruption? Like, this is Vanuatu. Nothing's regulated. You go in the day and you see people throwing rocks into the thing to see, try and get it going <laughs> off. Like, there's nothing regulated. And so, like, that happens up there about five minutes. So, it's just like, okay, like, this isn't cool. Like, this is really cool. I'm glad I saw it. But it's like, I don't feel like getting a magma ball to the face. So, come down end up going into Afate, which is the like, capital island of Vanuatu. So passed by Aramango, spent some time in there, which is pretty much an unknown island. There's seven tribes live on the periphery, but nobody kind of knows what's in the middle. It's one of the most craziest, adventurous places I've ever been to, and it's the place that really gave me like the feeling that I became a true explorer. I actually followed my dreams and kind of did it because it's unlike any other place I've ever experienced. Like There's still cannibalism. They do black magic. Like while I was there, a guy got convicted, tried and eaten by a neighboring village because he was convicted of turning into a shark and eating another guy. Like they had a massive cyclone in 2014, I think. And the reason that it hit Ambrum so hard and not Molecula is because the local legend is a magic man from Molecula took a dugout canoe and paddled over to Ambrum because he had beef with that magic man and buried two coconuts in the sand. And that's what brought the hurricane to Ambrum and not Molecula. But you were right, the invention of bungee jumping, there's the Pentecost land divers. They build like this 60 to 90 meter self-made tower and then they go into the bush, the rainforest, and grab three vines. No not measurements. two, not four. Not two, not three. four. Three, exactly. <laughs> not two, not four, but three. So they, they, they grab these vines with no measurement, just off of eye and cut them, weave them together, wrap them around their feet, jump off a 60 to 90 meter platform onto mulch. And their vision is the closest they can get to the ground without hitting it is the more they are a man and the closer they are to God. Not really sure how you how one just goes about, you know, <laughs> picking their vines. I they stopped doing, you know, more of a, it's more of a cultural thing. They don't really do it for tourists. They did it for the queen, that was the last person I think that's really truly witnessed it in the people's planet, the cultural geography, like Blue Planet, that one they did about the natives. They had that and funny actually I was on a, a ferry going up to the Espiritu Santo after I'd left the boat driving past Pentagos they actually had that on the TV with the land divers show on it's like it was really surreal because you're in Vanuatu with Nevons on this ferry driving past the island that they're actually doing it on and you're just watching and hearing about them doing it and it is, it is pretty surreal and very interesting but going back to the sailboat leaving Tana and Aramango and sailing into Afate in Port Vila, Vila where we're kind of going to regroup, get supplies, enjoy some time, and then head up north to the other islands in Vanuatu. I jumped ship. I was like, I don't trust you. I don't trust this captain. Things are going on on board I was not cool with. So I was like, you know what? I appreciate the ride. I'm going to stick here, and I'll find something else. So when I go to a new place, I find some person to kind of connect with, a bus driver, taxi, the lady I get my lunch from. I just keep going back to build some sort of cultural connection with, the, with them. And the guy I chose this time was our taxi and bus driver, Nono Jones. He drove the bus, he kind of picked us up from the marina and kind of drove us around a couple spots. And, you know, we bonded, connected. I mentioned to him, I was like, yeah, I'm leaving the boat. He's like, what are you going to do? He's like, oh, I really don't know. You stay with me in my village. I was like, yeah, okay. I got no <laughs> other plans. So I lived with him for about a month and a half, almost two months, uh, with like 
this his family of like I think there's 25 people in this little commune but connected to a bigger village with pigs and we'd go fishing in the morning we'd garden and then we'd make the kava in the afternoon so the kava is very different than the Fiji kava they serve here the Fiji kava they dry out for a variety of years and months the Nivan and Vanuatu kava is is fresh and it has massive like psychotropic and psychoactive things to it but it's a very much a cultural thing like afternoon they don't eat anything they don't drink any water it's all in preparation for the kava at night it's massive in their culture and so like you build it you make this kava but you have a few you're starting to feel a little weird like it's a it's it's like a sedative but sometimes it can cause a little bit of hallucinatory effect sometimes you just kind of like sink into the hot floor that you're sitting on but yeah so i truly like really immersed myself into that culture so much that the fact that the family and village actually adopt me so i got adopted in Vanuatu by the three district chiefs of the tribe and I can legally get a Vanuatu passport. I have, Sweet. I have land waiting for me on the southern island of Tana oh, because nice. I'm part of the family. In fun fact, geographically, it's actually the only South Pacific island chain that's rising. So it's right in this, in the ring oh, of fire. You it's, may have secretly yeah. found yeah, the Holy Grail of is, land. Is the only, like, it's the actively rising island of the South Pacific that is growing. It's not, like, sinking. The water's not taking over its growth. Those islands are being lifted. Pretty crazy to think that a small, it's the smallest South Pacific island chain. It's like 88 islands that this is the place that that might actually make it yeah so in 2050 you can take yeah. your family there so uh-huh. <laughs> i even it, fun fact on the after jumping ship with this ended up going up to spiritu santo and doing my advanced dive certification on the uss president coolidge and then met a guy up there who had the lear which is brooks mcchutton it was a environmental research special that was going around and teaching the islanders how to do their own reef checks and kind of cross that threshold from environmental third world to environmental first world to be able to leave that into the village's sustainability to kind of move around their fisheries to understand that hey you can't exhaust all of this um so in meeting him we do that for a little bit and then I help him move his boat back to Fiji. It's still trying to get to Australia any way I can. Vanuatu, there's no place to take your boat out. It's more of a pit stop. So I wasn't really finding much people coming through. It's like, if I go back to Fiji, I can definitely get another boat. So get on this boat, which is a windward sail. So we ride a trough between a high and a low pressure. So we're motor sailing in about 250 nautical miles. So right in the middle, we have to do an oil change. And I noticed on the sonar that we are at the base of a, like a sub aquarian volcano. So it's 10,000 feet on one side and it goes up to 3,000 feet, like just up the way. So I got the latitude and longitude and we named it Nick's Mountain. So in another 50 million years, I'm gonna have some land in the South Pacific because I think that place is still growing too. (laughs) But it was crazy. It was just at this place, it was 10,000 feet deep. So I was trained for first mate. So I was like, man, do you need my help on this oil change? He's like, no, I was like, would you mind if I jumped in? Like the South Pacific is a lake. So we're riding at troughs, there's no wind, there's nothing going on, it's Calm, crystal clear South Pacific water. All you see is just different shades of blue going down. You can't tell how much visibility there is. So you jump in, he's like, Yeah, you can jump in, but I'd probably give you about 10, 15 minutes. He's like, What do you mean? He's like, You're splashing around in the middle of the ocean. Something's passing by is going to notice. It might be coming. I was like, Okay, <laughs> a little daunting. Thanks, Brooks, but I'm still getting in. But just dove in, and as soon as you got in, you looked up, and there was just a slight refraction, like kind of where the boat water was hitting on the water line, and then it was just clear, like there was nothing different. Like there was this little refraction, but it was just that clear, and all you could see is just the darker shades of blue just going down. It was incredible to feel that abyss that's below. Like you feel that when you're in a valley looking at mountains, but I've never really felt that underneath the water looking down into the ocean it's just like there's mountain worthy of like height of water underneath me like the pressure everything is just and it just turns to darker shades of blue it's like what's under you 
what's around you right now. It's just a really surreal, wild feeling. But when people ask me, it's like, you know, what's your favorite place? I always say accessibility and beauty, New Zealand. Culture and way of life, Australia. But adventure, Vanuatu. That place, it's so old, like, and it has not changed. Like, they have this thing called the cargo cult. So back in the day, we used it as a strategic naval base for our fight in the South Pacific. So different islands that we weren't even occupying, we'd do supply drops just in case things happen. And there's this island in, called the Mystery, I think it was Mystery Island in the south of Vanuatu, we were doing cargo drops and this entire race of people had never seen a plane before, never really seen metal. And all of a sudden these metal boxes are dropping from the sky, like from, like from heaven with different things for them. Food rations, there was like metal tins, fresh water, you know, all sorts of variations of first aid and like they just completely negated their entire belief they had for millennia and started worshipping the cargo drops. There's a really interesting book called The Cargo Cult that talks all about it, about how like the influence in that in their society and just what truly, how it affected them and how it happened and it's, it's wild. Is that the inspiration for The Gods Must Be Crazy? I, it could be, but that's that was based in Africa. Like I think it's sort right, of the kind okay. of the, still the same style yeah. of remote tribes being influenced by outside hands. But I mean, there's even an island down there that there's this one duke that went off millennia ago on a sailing trip from England. And he came to this island and they believed he was God. And they still think he's coming back. I think he's like 90 now, he's gonna die. Like, there's a story, it's like, oh, what do you think's gonna happen when he dies? Like, oh, he will return to us. It's like, he's still considered like Mana, like he's the God of the island that they just, that showed up one day and there it is, but they, they still call you white man. The Nevons are afraid to travel inter-island because they think if they get touched by a magic man, they'll bring bad juju back to their family and bad things will happen. But because we are above that black magic and understanding that they can travel with us because the magic men are afraid of us because we don't believe in them is like their rationality. Right. And so somehow their power is Somehow weaker. their power is weakened by being around us. So they'll, allow, they'll travel with us, but then it's also interesting because they speak Bishlama, which is a variation of Pidgin English. There's big religion there too. Missionaries came. Somehow they find the difference between their black magic and religion and can coalesce those together. I'm not really sure where that happens, but they taught them English, but they taught them to speak English. They never taught them to write it. It became a phonetical English. So when you look at a sign, you're like, what the heck does that say? And then you sound it out, you're like, huh, oh. All right, so it's, so it's really similar to Caribbean Creole. Yeah, in that sense. yeah, Creole yeah. or Pigeon English, or the fact that it's like you know they taught them to read, they never taught them to write, so they just phonetically created their own alphabet and their own way of sounding words out. And I'd never experienced anything like that before. Like I'd heard Creole, but I'd never really heard Creole. You know, I understood it, but I just didn't really understand. It. Like I'd never seen it written, and it was crazy to see that. Like that's, I mean, this is 2015. That's still happening. That blew my mind. It's like a country I didn't know existed show up and all these things. I was like, wow, this place is wild. What, what do you know? You didn't know it existed. And then when you leave, you technically own land there. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I didn't know it existed. When I leave, I'm a dual citizen. Like, <laughs> insane. All these things are happening and I'm truly in disbelief, but still on the mission is like, how are we getting to Australia? I'm running out of money. Like, how are we going to get there? What's going to go on? So I spent a lot of time in this island, you know, in Fiji I started my open water certification. So I did that on Mana Island and I'm really into diving, something I've always wanted to do. I'm a water rat, but I love, I surf, it's my favorite, but my absolute favorite is being underneath the ocean. That calmness when that solitude hits, there's no sounds, like the fish and rocks interacting around you and it's like my perfect meditative state. I really enjoy free diving, but diving you can get deeper and do different things. I was like, maybe I can make money. Life and marketability is like, I enjoy doing this, this can't hurt. 
maybe I'm thinking sailboat captain, dive master, and then I was wanting to go back to nursing school. It was the whole reason I was going to go back for the six months. So I was going to go back to nursing school. I was like, yeah, maybe I'll create this entity somewhere down the line. So I got my advanced dive certification on the USS President Coolidge, uh, which is an old troop carrier in the World War II that sank off the coast. So it came in, no one was answering the call, and actually they'd mined most of the harbor entrances. And then right when they were coming in, it was like, no, turn around, aboard, aboard, aboard. They tried to turn, but hit a mine, and it blew a hole in the side. But it was a luxury cruise ship they turned into troop carriers, so it was like the Titanic in 1940s. They beached it, only two people died, but it sank in off the beach because it slid from 19 meters of water down to 66. But you can go and dive it, and it was one of the most surreal, coolest experiences of my life because we did a night dive. We went down to 48 meters in the middle of the night inside the belly of this ship in the second cargo hold and you turn your lights off and all of a sudden these bioluminescent fish come out and start spinning into a circle and then the bubbles from your regulator are interacting with the algae and bioluminescence and creating these phosphorescent bubbles that are coming up below and above you and these fish are spinning in a circle. You're over 150 feet under the water at night, you know, breathing through a tank, so you're a little narked out, you feel a little weird, and like you're completely sensory deprived, like suspended. When you breathe, you rise, when you breathe out, you sink, so it's like, it's this weird variation, and just inside all this history, like there's old rifles and gas masks on the front, like I have a piece of Coca-Cola sea glass from 1942. When back in the war, I was mentioning we had all these supply drops and the war had finished. It was Britain, France, and the US that were on this South Pacific Island, but we influxed with all the things, but Britain and France owned it. They were like, we'll give you 50 cents on the dollar for all of our surplus. And we're like, no, you're just gonna leave it. You can't bring it back to your country. And they're like, you guys aren't gonna buy it? Like, no, you're just gonna leave it. We're not gonna buy anything from you. So what did we do? We built a pier and drove everything into the ocean. Just threw everything out. It's called Million Dollar Point. There's tanks, there's there's helicopters, there's forklifts, all the way down to like your rations tray with like partitions for the cafeteria. But like this this huge like dump site that goes down to 50 meters of water, but like you can swim, you scuba dive around it. And it's surreal to see all of this junk from 1940 that's still kind of maintained in decent condition considering how long it's been under the ocean. But again, just another story about how crazy that island is, like the history there of the influx of, you know, Western civilization that came in and out and how it adapted and changed the environment as well as the culture. It's un it's insane to think about. What I think we should do now is jump back to the present. So you're, yeah. you're, you're in California uh -huh. now. You're, you came here for the surf and then to do the van business, but somehow you got hooked up with Occupation Wild, which... Courtney, the founder, has been on a past episode, so if people listening have heard that episode, they have some sense of what it is. But if they haven't, why don't you tell us about what Occupation Wild is and how you interlinked with that? Yeah, so Occupation Wild is an online job board for outdoor adventure and travel industry-based jobs. Courtney kind of created the company because she noticed that there is a, a lack in that sort of concise place to find that position. I've experienced it throughout my life. She's a guide and trip leader as well. People always ask, she's like, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you get after it and go it? It's like, for me, I just kind of, I did it. I figured it out. I found jobs when I went there for her. It's like, she did the research. It's like, what season do you want to work in? What state? Where do you want to go? What country? So it's like, people are always asking. So she recognized the need and created this platform as well as a podcast uh, called The Occupation Wild Podcast. And it just really showcases people living outside the nine to five realm. So in our aspect of creating that, we've created as just a, a way to show that average people are out there doing what most people keep coming up. It's like, oh, I'd love to do that. It's like, well, you can. So we find people 
that showcase that average Joes are going out there and they're making that conscious choice and they're going out accepting the the fear of the unknown is not necessarily a fear but it's something to overcome understand and move forward and grow with so with that we created all of these little entities and uh, you know it's a growing business it's really exciting I got the position actually through two Patrick's in a podcast so I was working at a fine dining French restaurant actually my last night was two days ago on Sunday officially full-time with Occupation Wild but my friend Patrick worked there used to live in Hawaii with this other kid Patrick who's actually Courtney's roommate so I went out with Patrick and Patrick, you know, he asked me, he's like, you know, what's your story? I was like, oh, I talked about the South Pacific, the sailing, living in Australia, New Zealand, the surfing in Indonesia and all around. He's like, oh man, like you gotta meet, you gotta meet my roommate. Like she'd, she'd love this. So he comes in after that night and he goes, he goes to Courtney, she's in the kitchen. He's like, Courtney, I've met someone that's weirder and crazier than you. <laughs> and she's, he's like, you gotta meet him. Through that, Patrick's, I got into the podcast. This is about in April. We did the first uh, episode of the podcast. It's broken into a two-part episode. We stayed in contact. She lives in the same area where I was parking my van. You know, a couple <laughs> different restaurants and bars I was working at as well. So I was always seeing her walking around, walking her dog. I was like, yeah, Courtney, what's going on? And then I was like, you should come in and work at a Beach Break Cafe one morning and, you know, just shoot the shit, take up one of my tables. I really don't want to work that hard today. And she came in and she's like, oh, you know, I'm just I'm trying to figure out. We're trying to, like, grow with this sales thing, but I'm trying to just kind of find the right person for the job. I look at her and say, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds something that's up my alley. <laughs> she's like, really? She's like, yeah, I'll start Monday. She's like, okay. So, so I guess I kind of gave myself that position and she You're was like, willing. Let me tell you how many bones I've broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's like, oh, you know, you seem like you can talk to people. You seem like you like to talk. She's like, I just want to avoid that. I want to do the back end stuff. I was like, put me in a room, give me a badge and let me loose. Like, I'll do great. Cause this is something I'm passionate in. Like I love the outdoors, I love traveling. And I really love showcasing the fact that you can grow from your fears. If you overcome them, your your scope of like what your natural bubble is grows indefinitely. And it just, it broadens your life, broadens your spectrum and broadens your mind and what is actually truly possible that you can do because you can do anything you want. I've always been in sales, one variation, the other when it comes to food and beer and beverage and that sort of stuff. But that was, I've always been hunting for something I'm a little more passionate about. I'm a little more, I didn't want to be the internal salesman, but I wanted to sell something that I, I didn't feel like I was selling. I was just giving, I was right. giving back, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. giving that opportunity so this came into play I really just kind of jumped on it and almost forced her hand and be like yes you're giving me this job thank you <laughs> but it's really worked out you know like we just got back we had a week-long trip to Tahoe last week uh, going up to the ski resorts up there you know we're signing more and more ski resorts people are reaching out to us uh, our podcast audience is amazing they're always actively reaching out asking we do questionnaire podcasts and people are coming on and being like you know we love the podcast thank you for this we're we're taking this step we're doing it so it's a really engaging very cool audience that's growing rapidly and the occupation wild podcast is now on apple Podcasts as well as spotify and it just again showcases those people that are taking that fear turning into a positive and just reevaluating and redesigning their life taking their space and making it their place like redefining what they truly need and interact with that's occupation wild i happen chance into it it's been a wild ride how, since. how different from the rest of your life oh yeah <laughs> i know right you know i talked my way into something else <laughs> stumbled into something you didn't know it existed and yeah. then you leave and somehow you're part of it yeah. yeah before i went into occupation wild i was you know i was getting over the restaurant i've been in about six months at that point and it's about my limit before i try and take off and spend all my money again we were from zero to hero and back again i was borderline moving back to florida getting my nursing degree, finalizing a captain's license, and I was gonna create a business with like Nurses Without Borders, where I was a boat captain, but also nurse and kind of could bring people around to maybe those South Pacific Islands that need assistance or different areas. I was trying to figure out something 
to blend that life of marketability with all the passions that I had to be able to kind of continue doing what I'm doing but never truly work a day in your life. It's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to stay out of that office. Thankfully, touch wood, never been in one. So after that, and then I found Courtney, and it's just like the stars aligned. Like, never thought I'd be in the tech industry. Never thought I'd be, first of all, on a podcast, co-hosting a podcast, or having a title that says director in it. <laughs> never crossed my path when I was bootstrapping it and bumming it through the South Pacific. Like, yeah. No way. It's been a wild ride. If you're not learning, you're dead in my opinion. And I'm learning an insane amount about sales and, you know, just different sort of variations of pitches as well as SEOs, ROIs, like acronyms. You're acronyms. learning a lot of acronyms. Acronyms, learning acronyms, <laughs> you know, and different variations of things that are, that work and things don't. But it's it's fun because you're constantly adapting and changing and testing. Does this work? Does this not work? We have an amazing product and we were very well received and it's growing every day. It's really cool to see that Courtney built this. It's aesthetic. It's beautiful, but it works. It works and people need it and people like it and they actually reach out and tell us like this is awesome. Like we've never been able to find this this platform, this space. The Occupation Wild has changed my life. And they they actually reach out and it's it's cool. I've been here I've been with the company since the fourth of July essentially. So it's a few months, but they're putting my name in like Courtney and Nick, thank you for this. Like Courtney and Nick, this is really cool. I'm just like, you know, get goosebumps, like that's different you know it's it's true that if you actually get out of your own way the thing you're supposed to do will happen and it'll come to you but you have to understand that it might not be something that's on your mind now but don't force something if you bide your time and you live your life and you're passionate and open and positive your life will change for you in my opinion but you have to get out of your own way and that can be hard for a lot of people because the fear really takes them over. But again, I said a lot, it's the fear of the unknown. It shouldn't be a fear. It's just a, it's just a misunderstanding and an unknown object that it looks like fear, but it's, it's really a pro. Like it's really something that you really need in that aspect of your life. So go out, take this step, be uncomfortable and learn how to be comfortable. Yeah, I think that's all great advice. And I also think it's a good time now to tell people how to get to Occupation Wild, but then also how they can keep up with you as an individual outside of Occupation Wild. Yeah, of course. So Occupation Wild is an online job board. You can find us at occupationwild.com. You can follow us at occupation underscore wild on Instagram. Uh, You can reach out to our support page uh, or any of us directly and ask for positions, comments, you want any questions on the podcast. Our podcast is on the Nomad Corner on the website as well as Spotify and Apple Podcasts and it's called The Occupation Wild Podcast. And then for me specifically, you can follow me at at nick.watts.wild on Instagram. I've got a variety of funny videos and stories and just life travels that, you know, I've kind of grown with and we're always moving forward. You know, I'm on a busy trip. I'm actually going off to Colorado and then doing a surf trip through Baja and, and then I've got a spearfishing bachelor trip in Costa Rica in November. And then we're taking Occupation Wild to Indonesia in January. I think we're gonna move the company over to Bali and find a little more startup hub to kind of bounce ideas off of people as well as live cheaper and surf in warm water over winter. (laughs) So does that mean you're gonna leave California or are you gonna stay, you're gonna be the US portion of the business yeah no i think i'm uh, leaving california for a few months you know i've got another niece or nephew coming uh, again in march so i'm gonna go from january to march and kind of enjoy that i'll store i'll store dora i'll put her in uh, storage and uh, head over there so that way when i come back i still have my my house and a nomadic lifestyle <laughs> so what i always do at the end of the show and i'm curious to see what you're gonna say because i, I feel like what most people would say here 
you've said throughout the podcast multiple times, but I like to ask people, like, what is the final thought they want to leave with everyone who's listening? So, so what you got? Oh, the final thought. The juice is worth the squeeze. It's become my tagline. Know that through hardships in life, the things that are hard that take the most time, you're going to find the most reward. You're going to find the most enjoyment. You're going to find the most growth. Don't be afraid of the unknown. Move forward with that fact that it is unknown, but it's just a challenge. We tend to become a con nation. We focus on that one negative over to the right-hand side of the list versus the list of 20 pros. And if that one negative is truly a con, it's not. It's just a fear. It's just something that you don't necessarily understand, you don't relate to, you can't accept. But that list of 20 pros that are right next to it, focus on that. Focus on that positivity and that con will eventually move into that pro because you'll have conquered it, you'll move forward in your life and you'll be better from it. I love how you, you've you kind of encapsulated the same thought you've mentioned multiple times but then found a totally different way to iterate it this yeah. time. <laughs> I really appreciate you know, that. I'm a talker. <laughs> I got it from my mother's gift of gab. You know, she Every year she goes on a plane, our Christmas list grows tenfold. People tell her more stories than you'd believe, than you'd want to know. <laughs> but yeah, I got, I got very lucky with my existence, very lucky with my travels, and very lucky with my upbringing. I thank my family every day. They're amazing, they're supportive, but they've always been like, Nick, you're just going to go off and do it, so I'm not going to fight you, because if I do, I'm going to lose you. You're going to go off and do it anyway, but if you can afford it, get after it. So thanks, Mom and Dad. I appreciate that. Well, thank you, man, for, for meeting me down here for doing this show. And uh, we should go get in the ocean. Yeah, let's go for a surf. <laughs> thanks again. And uh, I really appreciate being on the podcast. I love talking my story. And hopefully I can help someone make that step. And now it's that time of the show for you to go to our website, gogetoutside.com. Look for this episode 95 with Nick Watts. There you will find photographs of Nick in action and links to all of the topics we talked about in today's show. And while you're doing that, while you're on your internet machine perusing our website, why don't you drop us a line here at the show? You can do that a number of ways. Send us an email, go at butcherbirdstudios.com or send us a voice or text message, 818 818- Nine two five zero one zero six. And if you want to do me a great big favor, head to your podcast purveyor of choice, subscribe to the show, rate it, and if possible, review it. Please share it with someone who you think would enjoy it. This episode of the Go Get Outside podcast was produced, recorded, and edited by me, your host, Jason Milligan. Additional help came from Griffin Davis. And as always, it has been brought to you by Butcher Bird Studios. And thanks again to Alpen Ventures Unguided for sponsoring this episode. And a reminder to all of you to go to alpenventuresunguided.com and get 10% off of any summer 2020 Alps adventure with code GOOUTSIDENOW. Next time on the show, bats, bikes, horror movies, and a little bit of bike religion. Kristen Tiesch, March 1st. See you then. (laughs) 